This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 8.15 and 10.30 a.m. for Holy Communion and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Please enjoy the sermon. Long live the King. These are the words that were spoken by the nation of Israel towards the end of our lesson today in 1 Samuel when God had set apart in front of all the people the Benjamite Saul to be their king. These are familiar words to us even as Americans that threw off a king's rule over 240 years ago. From movies to television shows, we encounter this phrase being so close to England in terms of our ancestry and so forth as a country. But when we elect a president, our chief officer, if you will, in terms of leadership for a country, the words long live the president don't really come into our vocabulary. We don't think about that connected to our leader. The lifespan of a president is not connected with the length and of his days in terms of his office. For kings, in biblical times, the health and longevity of the king is connected with the governing of the nation. We must not, though, confuse longevity of a king's life and reign in biblical times directly with a faithfulness with God. Now, that is the goal, but it was not always the case. If you think about it, the longest reigning king in Israel's history was not a faithful king. King Manasseh reigned longer than any other king, and he was probably the most wicked of all the kings. And one of the most faithful kings that we read about had a relatively shorter reign compared to Manasseh with Josiah. The first three kings that we encounter in First and Second Samuel, Saul, David, and Solomon, all reigned for 40 years each. But only one of these three kings remained faithful to Almighty God until the very end of his life, where Solomon and Saul, as we know, fell away. The intent of saying this phrase, long live the king, carries with it the longevity of God's blessings upon his people. Such carries with it an expectation of leading the nation in God through setting a godly example. As we read in our psalm today, to begin the word, your word is a lantern to my feet and a light to my path. This was Saul's commission. It was the, every king of Israel and Judah, their commission to follow God's word, to lead God's people in his word. As we continue our series in 1 Samuel, let us meditate upon our lesson today and its application to our walk in Christ. The first 16 verses of our chapter hinge on four events. First, Saul's anointing in a private ceremony by the prophet Samuel. Second, Samuel's two signs of what would happen next for Saul as he left to confirm this anointing. Third, that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul. And lastly, in this section, the interaction that Saul had with his uncle at returning. The anointing of Saul, although only one verse of this entire chapter, carries force 
throughout this passage. Without this anointing, without this blessing of God through the prophet, Saul had no right. He had no claim to this new throne, to this kingdom that God was establishing. This private anointing led to three more confirming steps to solidify his calling to become Israel's first king. Two of the three occurred in our reading today. The Spirit of God rushing upon him and the public selection of Saul as king. We'll read about the, the last one next week in Saul leading to save a besieged city. Saul was anointed king as we read this morning with the purpose of saving God's people from their surrounding enemies. Anointing is important throughout Holy Scripture. It involved, as we read this morning, pouring oil over the head of the person that was to be set apart either as a high priest of Israel or as king of Israel in the Old Testament. Such was conducted by the prophets of the Lord or by the priests. We see anointing even in the New Testament in the book of James where the presbyters of the church anointed the sick with oil and prayed over them. An anointing of oil continues to be an important aspect in our lives in the body of Christ. With presbyters anointing those that have been baptized and the bishops anointing those that have been confirmed in the faith, anointing those that are ordained in the faith. It is anointing the sick with oil that continues to be a valid part of the role of the presbyter in the church. This is very important if you think about it in terms of anointing of oil in our own day and age in a day of disconnect with our interpersonal relationships. If you think about it, people in our busy lives let activities and so forth get in the way of personal contact with each other, especially in the church especially in our participation in worship and prayer. If you think about it, that phrase that we often say to one another, I will pray for you, becomes the phrase to use rather than stopping in that moment. A person expresses a need to pray for them. It is important to follow the biblical example that we are given in the New Testament of presbyters laying hands on the sick, praying and anointing them with oil. After Saul's anointing, we read that Samuel instructed him that he must go now and travel. And then along the way, two signs would occur that would confirm everything that just occurred. As predicted, both of these occurred very quickly. This was important for Saul to know God's hand was in all of these events. In his elevation to be king of the people in the name of the Lord. Sure enough, not only did these things occur as Samuel said they would occur, but we read at the verse, part of verse 9, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Not only was God designating Saul to do the work of the king, he also changed him within to serve God. This phrase is something we encounter throughout scripture of the changed or the renewed heart. The third event we read of in these verses is that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon Saul in verses 9 and 10. And we read that at the end of verse 10 that Saul prophesied among the other prophets. It was important that these utterances coming from Saul occurred with the witness of other prophets of God. 
The prophets asked if Saul was now among them as a prophet. In reality, God was setting an important precedent with godly kings to prophesy when called upon. Such foreshadowed our ultimate prophet, priest, and king in Jesus Christ. Israel's king presided over God's people by the authority of God. Not only was he to rule them in a governing sense in terms of holding up the law of God, the civil law, he was also to govern them in a spiritual sense, to lead the people to obey God's word. Lastly, Saul interacted with his uncle as we read at the end of this section. As we read today, his father was quite anxious for his son. And verse 14 conveys this with his uncle's question. Where did you go? Saul then answers that he was looking for the donkeys. And he, after he could not find them for a time, he sought to seek the prophet. Then his uncle wanted to know what exactly the prophet had said. And Saul said that the donkeys were found. If you notice, Saul did not volunteer anything about the private nature of the anointing ceremony. God would take care of this publicly in the last part of this chapter. Our last section is summed up in these words of Samuel to the assembled nation. He said, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Our section begins with Samuel calling all of the people together to the city of Mitzpah. In these words, in verses 17 through 19, the people are reminded that even though they had been protected by God for all these years... They responded through rejecting God, through demanding a king. Samuel then had all the tribes gather, tribe by tribe, gathering lots, taking up lots to see who God was to pick. And it got to the point where they picked Benjamin and then all the various clans and families of Benjamin until it came to Saul's family. From here, Saul is revealed. As we read in this passage, Saul was still hesitant. Saul was still humbled with all of this, as verses 21 and 22 indicate. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. From here, Saul was known to the people and acknowledged this by shouting, long live the king. In verse 25, we read of what occurred next. Then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. The language here is of a legal agreement between God and his people. Yes, the people demanded a king. As we read last week, they demanded a king like all the other nations had. Yet this was still God's people. This still was God's nation. He made the choice and set the conditions for the rule of the king. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 14 through 20 speaks of the duties and the expectations of the future kings of Israel. This is surely what was part of the setting aside of the king here in 1 Samuel. In Deuteronomy we read that the king was not to be like the other kings of the surrounding nations in terms of having many horses, in terms of having many wives, in terms of excessive riches. 
The kings were to have their own copy of God's word approved by the Levitical priests for the king to read, for the king to learn the law of the Lord all the days of his life. He was to stay steeped in God's word, to know the word, to keep from being prideful over his fellow people, and to keep from turning aside from the commandments. This was the expectation for Saul and direct opposition to what Israel wanted in terms of a king like all the other countries. Too often we think we have something to do with how God rules us. We cannot govern ourselves. He governs us by his word. God establishes all the governments of this world, whether they acknowledge him or not, whether we acknowledge them or not. He calls us to honor them through obedience as long as they do not require us to disobey God. After this, Samuel sent the people home. Then this chapter ends with this following interesting quote. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. Here's that phrase again that we read in the earlier chapters of 1 Samuel describing the sons of Eli, worthless fellows. Even in the midst of the Lord clearly revealing his choice for king, people described as worthless rejected not only Saul, but God. In scripture, when we encounter this phrase, worthless fellow, we note that these people are never redeemed. We have to take extreme caution in how we as Christians respond to the governing authorities over us. Sure, it, ha it was clear in our passage that God chose Saul and still worthless people rejected him. One of the clear signs in the Bible of a worthless person is that the person also is rebellious against God, rebellious against his word, and rebellious against the leaders that God appoints. Some men of valor, as we read in this lesson, had their hearts touched by God, and they went with Saul, ready to serve God through his appointed king out of obedience. Romans 13.1 reminds us of our obligation as Christians, same obligations the Israelites had so long ago. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. As St. Peter in the opening chapters of Acts set the example in obeying God to continue to preach the gospel when the government told him he could not, we too, as Christians, can only disobey when God's word is subverted by the state. Even in this, as with all the apostles, they still submitted to the persecution of the governing authority enacting ungodly laws. Yet even in this nasty reply of these worthless fellows that we read about, these rebellious people, we read that Saul responded with humility by holding his peace. Often in rulers throughout Holy Scripture will note that godly restraint is often seen in the face of insults, in the face of rebellion, Saul did it here as well as the next king and David throughout their lives, especially David. Jesus gives us the ultimate example of this in his life for us. When reviled, he did not revile back. When struck, he turned the other cheek. 
He submitted to the state's unjust execution to save all of us from our propensity to sin, from our propensity to injustice. Let us as God's people in this Lent learn anew the lessons of what it means to be under the authority of God, what he has set over us. From the family, to the church, to the state, God has placed us under authority for our own good. He has done this to teach us his love and his patience with us, even in the midst of our great and many provocations. Even when in the midst of a time when, where the people rejected God as they did in demanding this king, God used such to advance his word, to advance his kingdom with his people. He anointed Saul to continue the ongoing work of clearing the land of disobedience, clearing the land of idolatry as found in the peoples that were still present of the enemies that surrounded them. May we be a people that learn to submit to Jesus as our king, as he continues to work in our lives to break down all the barriers we have set up against his rule. He is our true king forever. Amen.